giving the administration the authorization to sell to Habitat for Humanity, and it will become a single-family residence. Now, uh, part of that, just so uh, people just listening in and just hearing this for the first time, uh, please understand, we do clearly get the fact there is historical uh, pieces to that. Steve Sherlock here for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere on the internet, WFPR.FM, and in the local Franklin Mass FM radio dial, 102.9. Here today, it's a Thursday morning. There was a town council meeting last night. So we're going to do our town council quarterbacking session with Chair Tom Mercer. Tom, happy Thursday. Happy Thursday, Steve. As we hit December. December. Amazing. (laughs) I'm not sure where the year went, but uh, it's disappeared. It it has rapidly gone by us, and there's only another meeting left, I think, right? The, the December fourteenth. You only got one more. Uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Yeah, one more. Yeah. So, anyway, for the listeners who are just joining us, thank you. What we're going to do is just kind of recap. And it was a relatively short meal compared to others. It was less than two hours. But we'll say, okay, what just happened? And what does it mean for Franklin residents and taxpayers? So you'll get the condensed version. For regular listeners, thank you for coming back. You know where we're about to, so we'll just dig right in. And as you normally do, you find, and the community is generous in a number of ways, this was another set of aspects of the community with the Outriders doing another donation. Yes, uh, to Veteran Services uh, Group and uh, the Elks Riders are just, and the whole Elks organization is so supportive to our community. Uh, but the Elks Riders in particular, uh, I think this is either the second or third time that they've been in in 2022, uh, bringing generous donations to the veteran services group and uh we continue to say thank you and continue to thank them so much for their efforts on behalf of the veterans in our community certainly the veterans deserve some support and through efforts of the elks and others the elks certainly have been at least two or three times uh doing this and they get the recognition for it and we appreciate that as well And then you get into uh, the major piece of the tax classification hearing, the which formerly I think best describes you know closing the budget cycle for FY twenty three. Although, as we've talked in other forums, and I'm sure we'll still talk FY twenty two, twenty three, and twenty four, kind of our midstream all along the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it can get confusing at uh, at times for sure. But, uh, you know, this is one of the, you know, and I tried to say it last night, uh, uh, for me, it's probably one of the two most important, two or three most important meetings we have is when we set the tax rate, because obviously we can do a budget, but you need to have the dollars to support that budget. And we get the majority of that from our uh, tax levy. Uh, 
And uh, last night uh, was the meeting in which we addressed uh, our tax rate uh, moving forward. And, you know, and I know sometimes it's appears to be very boring and it can be because there's so many different resolutions that we have to vote uh, by mass general laws to comply. So that's why there were, oh God, eight or nine uh, different uh, tax classification votes that we were required to do last night. And really, not, you know, uh, a very short synopsis of, you know, where we are. Uh, currently, the single tax rate in FY22 uh, was 14.05, I believe. And, uh, you know, the proposed FY23 rate has been reduced to $12.58. And to a degree, that may be a little misleading. Uh, the tax rate did drop to 1258, but the average single family assessment value increased from roughly 506, 507,000 to uh, 593, 594, right in uh, 593, 800 is what it but increased to uh, from 506,800. So for the, uh, which is about a 17% increase in the assessed value. So the increase on the, uh, or the decrease with the decrease of the tax rate and the increase of the assessed value uh, of the average uh, single-family residents, those those individuals will see an increase of roughly three hundred and forty-one forty-nine dollars uh, for the year. FY twenty-three. Yeah, it's really as we've talked here and other times. Uh, it's more of a math exercise than a choice. I think the real choice decisions are should we go single or split right. based on our existing tax base single is the most logical choice to make um well, but then assess aside from that it's really the assessment process and the board of assessors have come before have spent time with the fincom as well and that's where the details are because yeah everybody has seen especially in the last two years the market values just increasing and because that total valuation has increased, it simply becomes a math exercise and thereby the rate drops. Right. Um, I think, and I've got a chart that I shared earlier this week, I'll include it in the show notes, but we had a low of nine something in 2007, 2008, just before the market crash. Right. <laughs> um, that was the low rate. And then after the market crash, we went up to, I think it was a 1484, just be, just shy of 15 yeah. um, because the valuations dropped and thereby we needed to raise the rate in order to still maintain uh, the revenue stream, the tax levy, because that's the other key piece. The rate can go up or down, but I also have a chart that unfortunately the tax payment 
increases every single year anyway you know so it's, <laughs> yeah. it's like that other line death and taxes you're always going to get uh, those absolutely. two things don't change <laughs> uh, with, without question and with uh you know uh proposition two and a half we you know, can only increase two and a half percent uh on an annual basis uh but just to your single and dual uh tax rate uh, uh statement uh so really what that does is that puts us approximately at 81% property tax uh, for residents, uh, 81% resident uh, and uh, 19% CIP, which is commercial, industrial, and personal property. That's what that acronym is. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, for those who uh, just see CIP and try and understand what that is. It's just commercial property, uh, industrial property, and personal property. So uh, so we're at roughly at 81 and 19. Uh, we've been right around the 80-20 as Kevin Doyle, who does a great job with this, uh, and Chris Feely, who is uh, chairman of the Board of Assessors. Uh, they do a great job. There's a lot of, lot of, hours and work that go into uh, getting to the council uh, last night on an annual basis, uh, getting all those numbers uh, done and to us so that we can vote them to uh, finally kind of close the book. Right. Yep. And set up forward for certainly we're in FY23 because that started July one um you know we're also starting now the capital budgeting process in the operational budgeting process for fy24 so (laughs) it's just ongoing steve as i said sometimes uh you know you're sitting there wait a minute what am i dealing with them Mm -hmm. fy22 23 24 uh so uh it does uh can get a little confusing for the residents if they're just watching occasionally and uh, trying to figure out where we are. Right. And I'll just put a slight plug in there, too. I did talk with uh, Chris Sandini and Carrie Bertoni earlier this year to talk to specifically the budget cycle. So, yeah, they got into the details and it was about a 40, 50 minute conversation to the to your point, covering the three different. So the prior year, FY22, why does that still matter to us? Well, the uh free cash becomes our capital budget starting point for FY23 while we're starting FY24. And oh, by the way, yes, we've just closed out FY23 formally with the tax rate setting. So there's three exactly. processes going on all the time. And you will occasionally see us moving a little money around uh, back into FY22 because invoices came in after, after, right. after July. Yeah. yeah, that happens once in a while. Yeah, yeah, it does happen once in a while, for sure. Yeah. And in terms of what happens once in a while, you had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to actually uh, find a buyer and enable both preservation and yet affordable housing for a key Franklin property. Absolutely. And uh, it was one of, uh, uh, you know, it it was bittersweet to a degree for me. 
Uh, I've been on the council now, uh, I don't know, seems like a long time, dozen years. And this is something that we've talked about every year. Uh, and what is the best use? And I applaud our prior councils, but I really, really applaud our administrative team as well as uh, this council and the one prior. And actually uh, going out again and uh, solicitating to see, you know, uh, requests for RFIs. Uh, request for information if people might be interested. And we had a couple of uh, uh, organizations come forward. We had a church from Providence that was interested, uh, and we had Habitat for Humanity interested. And uh, we went through uh, a rather lengthy process of uh, vetting the two options, uh, not only at EDC, but as well uh, with the full council. And uh, last night we uh, got an opportunity to uh, actually uh, vote to move this to uh, and sell to giving the administration the authorization to sell to Habitat for Humanity. And it will become a single family residence. Now, uh, part of that, just so uh, people just listening in and just hearing this for the first time, uh, please understand, we do clearly get the fact there is historical uh, pieces to that, uh, to the old South Franklin meeting house. Listen, I go by it uh, half, a, half a dozen times a day, every day. Uh, so... Uh, it's near and dear to my heart. I uh, I have spent uh, oh, at least a half a dozen Christmas Eves uh, at Christmas Eve service uh, back in the 70s and 60s uh, and even into the 50s at that church So uh, or at the meeting house. So we are the facade, the outer facade of the building is going to remain the same. Now, there will be update to windows, obviously, mm -hmm. but the facade itself will still stay the same. The steeple will still be there. Uh, the bell will not. We are mm -hmm. taking the bell, and uh, we will find a place for that at the Historical Museum downtown uh, because uh, that was a, an important piece for Councilor Plegri as well for me. Uh, I, I hadn't thought of it, but she did and brought it up. So we put that in the uh, in the agreement with Habitat for Humanities. Uh, and uh, I just, and ultimately, preference will be given to a Franklin family uh, for that property. And that process will actually, it's, it's a lottery, and that process will actually start uh, as the project starts so that they can help and maybe make uh, some decisions along the way, whether it be colors or, uh, you know, uh, uh, appliance uh, colors, uh, paint colors, whatever. 
The other piece is uh, uh, Councilor Plegri was very concerned uh, about the pews and the ability to maybe uh, save at least a few of them. Or uh, so we're we're looking at that as well, and that's been something that Habitat for Humanity is very. Uh, forthcoming in there. They've been wonderful to work with to date, and it's a great organization. They've been around for a long time. Anybody that has never heard of them, Google them, uh, and you'll see what some of the wonderful things they do across the country. This is not, this happens to be an Attleboro uh, uh, office of Habitat for Humanity, but there are offices across the country. Yeah, they are a good group. I remember when my daughter was at Assumption, we did a Habitat for Humanity project in Worcester. Um, and that that was a weekend or two uh, helping re renovate a house uh, there for a family. So having something like that, and I think it was also referenced in the meeting, they will also look for additional volunteers as part of the renovation for this particular facility as well. Some obviously may be more technical, electrical, plumbing, et cetera. But then, you know, painters and gophers, if you will, um, those will be required as well. So. Yeah, I have two brother-in-laws that uh, are involved. One's involved with Habitat for Humanity in Maine and is always volunteering hours. Uh, and uh, it's just a great organization. And a lot of their work is volunteer. Yeah, definitely, which is how they can make it and contribute to make it affordable going forward, which is one of the key other key aspects. Yep. Without question. Yep. And then the next legislation item, uh, while you had in a prior meeting uh, authorized the parking changes, mm -hmm. last night you had an opportunity to actually authorize some administration to actually buy the new parking meters. <laughs> right. Uh, and basically these are kiosks uh, that will be in the Depot Street uh, Plaza, as well as the Ferrara uh, lot, um, and where people will, uh, very similar to the kiosks that are at some of the train stations. Uh, so we authorized, and again, this is just the continuation uh, of uh, the votes that we've been taking regarding parking over the last uh, couple of months. Uh, so this is just the next piece. They'll now um, go out to bid with these uh, kiosks, and uh, you know we're we're shooting for a March or April, uh, hopefully, uh, install and uh, start with the new policy. So uh, I know we talked about April first, and then we backed it up to March first. Uh, the council is kind kind of keeping the pressure on. The administration uh, to make sure this gets done as soon as possible. Hence the authorization to buy them to make sure we get into the queue. So whatever supply chain issues may be, we can <laughs> kind of address and then still have them available. So once the ground starts thawing, they can be put into the ground and then put into use. So yeah, it's it's not something that's just going to happen overnight. It does take time, but it started. Yeah. And speaking of time, you got to look at the proposed meeting schedule for next year, the calendar year of 2024, and uh, laid that out. Uh, also in the dock for reference was the FinCom meeting schedule and the Community Preservation 
committee meeting schedule. You didn't approve it. They respectively, they need to approve their own schedules, but it highlights the the need for coordination amongst the groups because there's only so many meeting nights and so many times that uh, things can exactly be and and, uh, and it's getting uh, getting more and more difficult to uh, to fit all of them in uh, because you are dealing with uh, religious holidays uh, uh, and there are a multitude uh, of those. Uh, and, you know, at some point, we're going to need to make some decisions and uh, uh, as to what we do. And we may someday have to have one on a uh, on a holiday of some kind. Mm -hmm. and, uh, or a school vacation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and they can remote in, people can remote in. Right. Or... Uh, uh, you know, if they can't get there in person because of the holiday for religious reasons or whatever. Uh, but we're through this year's, and I think we've tried to avoid uh, the most recognized uh, out there, uh, holidays out there, and... Um, you know, uh, if we need to make an adjustment along the way, we obviously can always do that. But it is getting much more difficult to fit all of these meeting schedules uh, in, especially with uh, everything being, you know, whether it be televised or uh, uh, live streamed or, uh, you know, uh, it does make it difficult. Yeah, it does. And I know, at least I heard through school, school district, they're also looking at their calendar to adjust if necessary, based upon the growing diversity in our community. So I think Absolutely. as they get that settled, to the extent that you have to coordinate with the school's schedule anyway, having them settle on their schedule and their holiday uh, uh, recognitions, at least, may help. Uh, now you've already got a starting point as well to work with. and. Uh Make Absolutely, sure you... It, it, you know, and it's much more uh, cumbersome on their end, on uh, their part of this. So uh, we would obviously look at the dates that they're they've chosen to avoid and uh, what holidays those are, and then kind of look at our calendar in comparison and see what we can do if we need to adjust as we move forward. And speaking of moving forward for all future uh, names and memorials, et cetera, apparently there had been reference to a policy, but it was turned out not to have been found in existence. So you actually put one on the books. Uh, yes, we did. Uh, and, and this was something this is something that uh, we were all led to believe that uh, uh, there was a policy actually in place. And when I asked the town administrator and the administration to come up with that and uh, uh, so that we see exactly what it said and maybe we need to tweak it a little. Um, when they dug deep, uh, they weren't able to come up with it. So I uh, asked the town administrator and the town attorney to draft a, uh, a resolution so that we get something on the books, basically, 
Uh, and all it's doing is, you know, the naming of public property, uh, the memorial, memorializing of space on public property. Uh, it's it's an important piece, and mm -hmm. uh, we we have many requests that uh, come to uh, the administration, uh, wanting to name a bench or wanting to name those kinds of things. Uh, that approval needs to come from the town council. And so what we put in place was any naming of anything uh, on public property. Correct. Uh, needs to be vetted and voted by the town council, which is basically what we all thought the policy was and uh -huh. what we had been trying to work with, because in a lot of cases, uh, you know, a lot of these things did come to the council just to vote it and say, okay. Uh, but, uh, you know, and again, this isn't saying that we're not stopping the naming of anything or everything. We're just putting a policy in place that provides uh, to the residents uh, or organizations that are looking to do something, an avenue to work with. So they would come to the administration, make the request, come to the council, and the council would then decide whether it's uh, something that we should do. Right, because in recognition of the tech council, certainly is the legislative oversight, uh, other than the budget and the town administrator, this is one of the key pieces. You manage all our public assets. And what I think uh, legally, there's a couple of exceptions where CONCOM Conservation Commission has some particular properties and clearly the schools have some cool. particular property rights. Absolutely. But other than that, any other public property, um, right. which right. is not to say that, yeah, to reinforce your point, it's, this is from this point going forward. It doesn't change anything it may have done before. Oh. To the extent that we couldn't find that other dock, this at least puts the dock in a place so everybody knows where it is. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, uh, and just to your point uh, about the exceptions being CONCOM and the schools, you know, for example, Delcott's is a CONCOM piece of property. So uh, they control that. Uh, and the schools, obviously, uh, is uh, they have some uh, their properties would come under school committee jurisdiction. And they also have a policy in place uh, to deal with any uh, requests that come forward. Good. So I think that kind of recaps for the listeners. What did occur last Wednesday night? <laughs> much, I think. Yeah, at least the, the key pieces. And we'll put in the plug, of course. The Franklin TV video is available via YouTube. Uh, the, I'll have the audio and my notes out as well. But, Willie, thank you, Tom, for taking time to help me recap so that the people will know, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's what it means. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Thank you, Steve. And again, uh, uh, well, I'm sure I'll talk to you again before the uh, holidays, but uh, uh, a very happy holiday season uh, to all of our listeners and as well to you and your family. Okay, thank you. Yeah, we have at least one more before we close out the year. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, we'll pick a good date for that one, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And quick reminder for the listeners, we do this because Franklin matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. 
This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.